Hi, this is Kirk Reed. Bear with me as we need a little compliance disclosure. In our practice, we give financial advice to our clients. We know their financial situation in detail before doing so. That's generally not the case with callers we speak with on the show. We can't give truly meaningful financial advice because we don't know the detailed financial situation of the caller. After all, we just met. Any suggestions we make to callers are generic in nature and meant to steer a caller in the right direction. Callers should check with their own financial professionals before implementing any suggestions that we may make. At times on this show, we talk about investments and investment performance. Investment returns are not guaranteed, and past performance does not guarantee future results. And good morning, everyone. This is Pat Harridan from Lockton Companies in Boston. This is McNamara on Money, the South Shore's very own financial talk radio show. Mike and the team have a well-deserved day off. And I'm sitting in, and normally for regular listeners, when I sit in, we talk about insurance and employee benefits. And today is no exception, a little bit of a twist, but two very good topics. Big day today, Tim. We've got soccer at 10, but people will be recording that and listening to the Super Bowls on WATD. Is that correct? Yes. I think that's how it's going to work. Yeah. Yeah. And a, a special good luck to the, I know Duxbury won, I believe, last night, their Super Bowl, so they're undefeated. And now Hull, my former team and former teammate, Coach O'Donnell, oh. has an opportunity yes. to, I think they're on at 10. Yes, they are. Right after McNamara on money. So listen in to WATD. You can put the TV on, but just put the sound down and listen yeah. to WATD. Yeah, because the call with Quinn and the gang will be much better. Much better. Yes. And also, soccer's boring, so. Um, yeah. <laughs> Depends can, on who you ask. You can wait on that. But yes. good luck to the Hull Pirates today. Arrgh. Yes. Favorite letter is R. So today, the plan is we're going to have um, two guests in related topics. The first that we're going to cover in the first hour, we're going to talk all things Medicare. And then the second hour, we're going to talk all things Social Security. I'm sorry, we're going to flip it. Social Security is first hour, Medicare is second hour. It's early, Tim. In order to do that, I need experts. So my first guest is an expert in Social Security. He's been a frequent guest of the show. Good time of year, too, as we enter end of year and starting 2023. Lots changed. A lot of new things have happened in Social Security. I'll I'll ask Kurt to introduce himself. But good morning, Kurt. How are you? Hey, Pat. Good morning. Good to be with you. I hate to say anything, but I think you've already made a fatal error because you said that the folks at McNamara Financial, it's a well-deserved weekend oh. off. I'm not sure. That may be crossing the line. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, that <laughs> might be. Something nice about yeah, you said them. something you know, nice, you, Pat. You could be in trouble oh. now. <laughs> so it's not deserved. They should be working today. There you uh, go. But, Kurt, thank you for joining us and for the listeners who we, I think I've had you on a few times around this time of year because it's this time of year or a little, when people focus on it, I know some of the changes were announced earlier, but things change with Social Security and as we enter, believe it or not, we're thinking about 2023, even though it's December 3rd. But Kurt, just for our listeners and people that may listen to this recording, just introduce yourself, give us a little bit of your history, and so we know uh, who we're talking with. Sure. Yeah, Kurt Zarnowski. I feel myself as the principal in Zarnowski Consulting. I like to say we're an international consulting firm Hmm. whose world headquarters conveniently located in the spare bedroom of my house in Norfolk, Massachusetts, (laughs) which is where I'm coming to everyone from today. Excellent. But at Zarnowski Consulting, we'd like to say we provide expert answers to your Social Security questions. And why can I say that? Well, 
I worked for the Social Security Administration for 34 years, the last 20 years of my career. I was the communications director here in New England, which meant I spent my time, as our Canadian friends would say, oot and a boot, talking to people about the program. And I continue to do that work in my retirement, such as it is, largely because I enjoy it. But there's a real need for the information, so it's a pleasure to be on with you. Been on in the past with Kirk and Alyssa and the other folks at McNamara Financial, and it's good to be able to share some information about the program. Yes, because it's one, I think, both Social Security, Kurt, and Medicare, which we'll talk about in hour two, are the things that people don't really start thinking about until they need to think about it, which is probably not not the best because, as we'll get into, Social Security is one that people attribute it to, hey, that's when I retire. And that's obviously majority true, but as you'll point out, not 100% true. But secondly, it's one of those things where, hey, there's an amount taken out of my check. I don't really know where it goes, what it does, or why it's there, but there's not a lot I can do about it, so I don't really pay attention to it. And you don't, like I said, you don't pay attention until you need it. You're approaching your retirement age or you become disabled, and obviously it's a big deal. But just in general, Kurt, and again, for all age listeners, what is Social Security? A little bit of, I guess, maybe a little bit of the history, but then what is it and who's covered all those things? And I'll ask you questions as we go along. Sure. And that's a great lead in, Pat, because too many folks, when they think about Social Security, think about it solely as a program for old folks. Now, the Social Security program has been around since 1935 as a cornerstone of FDR's New Deal package of legislation. And when the program started in 35, yeah, it was strictly a retirement benefit program. But before the first retirement payments were even made, Congress amended the law and added survivor benefits. In 1956, they added disability benefits. So Social Security really is this comprehensive, broad-based social insurance program designed to provide financial protection for workers and their families. Now, how do you get coverage under Social Security? You work in a job covered under the Social Security umbrella. And these days, oh, I don't know, about 94, 95% of the jobs in this country do fall under the Social Security umbrella. The last big group of holdouts state and local employees in a number of jurisdictions, including here in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. But by and large, Social Security, (coughs) excuse me, (coughs) has evolved into the nation's social insurance program. And you work in a job covered by Social Security, you pay a 6.2% Social Security payroll tax matched by your employer. Now each year there's a maximum level of earnings that are gonna be subject to that Social Security tax. This year, for example, you pay that 6.2% on the first $147,000 that you make. Anything you make above that, you'll pay a 1.45% Medicare tax, but you don't pay the Social Security tax. Well, in 2023, that taxable maximum figure is going to be increasing, and it'll be $160,200. So working in a job covered under the Social Security umbrella, you'll pay a 6.2% payroll tax on the first hundred sixty. dollars thousand two hundred dollars that you make it'll be matched by your employer and if you're self-employed you have the privilege air quotes around privilege of paying (laughs) that combined employer employee rate but you pay that tax work under the system and down the road you work enough you become in the terms of the statute insured for a benefit or you qualify for benefits under the program so how do you get 
coverage and protection, you have to earn what are called social security credits. Now, back in the day when the program started, the law talked about earning social security quarters of coverage or QCs. And the way you got that was if you worked during a calendar quarter of the year and you made at least $50 during the calendar quarter, you would get one quarter of coverage. And because there are four calendar quarters in the year, you could earn a maximum of four QCs during any one calendar year. But you think about it. It means you would have to work in a job under Social Security throughout the entire year. So in 1978, Congress changed the law, moved away from this calendar-driven system. So now you get coverage and protection by earning what are called Social Security credits. And credits are earned not based on when you happen to work, but based on the total amount of earnings that you have in a job covered under Social Security during the course of the calendar year. 1978, that first year of credits, you would get one credit for each $250 that you made, regardless of when you made it. Because you could still earn a maximum of four credits in a year, 1978, for example, you had earnings of $1,000 or more, you'd get your four Social Security credits for the year. Now, with the passage of time, the amount of money required to earn a credit has increased. Now, in 2023, for example, you'll get one credit for each $1,640 that you make. Again, in a job covered under Social Security. Again, because you can earn a maximum of four credits, it means next year, for example, you have earnings of $6,560 or more during the course of the year. And the key thing is, doesn't matter when you make it, you're gonna earn your four credits for calendar, 20, calendar year 2023. And the bottom line, Pat, for folks looking to collect retirement benefits under the Social Security program, you need to accumulate 40, 4-0 Social Security credits and or quarters of coverage if you had them in the past, which if you think about it, it's the equivalent of 10 years of work under the system. And of those 10 years of work, 40 credits or quarters of coverage, you're absolutely positively gonna get something each month from Social Security under the retirement benefit when the time comes. And we can talk about how much that's gonna be, but that's how you get your foot in the door. You yeah. work on credits by working in a job covered under Social Security. Now, said right up front, there's more than just retirement benefits, survivor benefits, disability benefits. The concept is the same. You need to be working and paying into the Social Security program, but the number of credits required for someone to qualify for disability benefits or family members to qualify for survivor payments if a worker passes away, it's gonna be fewer depending upon the age at which the person either passed away or becomes disabled. But basic concept is you work in a job covered under social security, pay that social security payroll tax, and with enough work and earnings, you qualify for benefits and potential benefits to family members as well. So for, that was very good information, Kurt, and I was writing it down as you were saying it, knowing a little bit about it. But basically, to summarize, and we're talking with Kurt Zernowski of Zernowski Consulting, who is a Social Security uh, consultant. So, Kurt, obviously, as you said, the mo for the majority of people, other than, as you said, the governmental and railroad, too, is probably the other one, right? It's not sure. part of, right. Yeah. Most people are covered. So if you look at your check, which everyone take a pause and laugh. I don't know when the last time someone's looked at a 
pay stub because it's you know pretty much the same amount every time for most people that are salaried. That would be a, that that line. And they actually separate it now. If I remember right, Kurt, years ago they kind of lumped in Social Security and Medicare as one deduction under FICA or something like that. But now I think yeah, they absolutely s- correct, Pat. Until yeah. 1993, there was no differentiation between. Social Security tax and the Medicare tax. That year, they decoupled them, if you will. Yep. And uh, with the passage of time, it's not the point where, yeah, with Social Security, that's six point two percent. There is that taxable maximum each year. But with Medicare, you'll pay that one point four five percent Medicare tax on every dollar that you make. There's no limit. So for those people who want to look at their check at some point, now it's important, I guess less important, but still important to understand how much you're paying into the system because as you point out if there are people out there that are fortunate enough to max out obviously there's a maximum that goes in but the key things to the key takeaways for people are you should see it in your check realize that it's just the medicare portion i'm sorry just the social security portion is 6.2 your employer is matching the 6-2. You won't see that on your check, but just think about it in terms of every every dollar that they're paying out in payroll, they're paying 6.2 up to the 160. And then the other thing to think about is at some point, again, people can do math, but there's probably an easier way that Kurt will tell us, how do I know if I've been working sporadically or if I started working, stopped working, had children, stayed home, came back, how do I know, Kurt, uh, if I'm quote unquote insured or not, have I met all the requirements given that they've, as you pointed out, they have changed over time without waiting until I'm 65 or 67 to figure this out? Sure. And great question, Pat. Now, back in the day, <laughs> Social Security Administration played a more proactive role in helping people plan for retirement because people may recall back in the day, The Social Security Administration used to mail anyone 25 years of age or older who had ever paid into Social Security an annual paper document, a Social Security statement started going out back in 1999. Original distribution plan had them going out again. Anyone 25 years of age or older. Statement designed to show up in somebody's mailbox about three months before his or her birthday each year, providing important retirement planning information. (coughs) Excuse me. And with that statement, it would tell you benefit estimates for retirement benefits, survivor benefits, disability benefits. The other thing the statement did that was so important, it provided you a year-by-year breakout of what the Social Security Administration had recorded as your work and earnings under the program. So it was important when you get that statement every year to look at the earnings information, make sure what had been credited to you was accurate. Because if it weren't, you needed to catch that correct it, because if you didn't have a direct impact on what you would eventually receive. But people may have noticed, hey, I haven't gotten one of those every year lately. What's the deal? (laughs) Social Security has significantly altered distribution plans for Social Security statements. And the big news is they no longer automatically mail paper documents to everyone 25 years of age or older. Instead, though, what they've done first and foremost is put in place a system whereby if somebody goes to www.com, socialsecurity.gov slash, and all one word, my account, and takes about 15 or 20 minutes or so to set up an individual my social security account for themselves. An important byproduct of having that account in place in then will be someone's ability to download through a secure website 
a social security statement whenever someone may need one or want one. And so, for listeners out there, homework assignment for me to all of you. If you haven't yet set up a My Social Security account for yourself, I encourage you to do so. Down the road, once you start to collect benefits, a lot of advantages flow from having that account in place. But prior to retirement, <coughs> excuse me, big advantage is that ability to access a social security statement and the information on it whenever you need it or want it. And again, review that earnings information, make sure it's accurate, because if it isn't, you need to catch it and correct it, and you do that by bringing proof of what the correct amount of earnings was to the Social Security local office, and they'll be able to make that change for you. So take advantage of that Social Security statement. It's an important planning tool designed to help you understand what the program is, help you recognize what it isn't, but also give you that information about your earnings history and one of the things the statement does on the top of the second page now, or the, no, they change it around, but anyway, on the statement, <laughs> it now tells you how many Social Security credits the administration says that you have. It'll tell you right up there. To re- receive retirement benefits, you need 40 credits. Based on our records, you have 32 or 26 or whatever. <laughs> That's where you get the information to find out what additional steps you need to take in order to become insured for that benefit down the road. So utilize that social security statement. By the way, social security has resumed mailing paper documents, but on a very limited basis, Pat, they'll say if you're 60 or older, haven't set up a My Social Security account for yourself, they will mail you a paper statement. Same old schedule about three months before your birthday. But that's it for paper mailings. If you're under the age of 60, the only way you get that statement these days is by setting up a My Social Security account for yourself. But my view is even if you're over the age of 60, I think it makes sense to set up that account. Because again, you can access a Social Security statement whenever you need one or want one and have that information at your fingertips. Yeah, no, that's a great point, Kurt. I did it just because I was curious for a couple of things. I was cur- It's funny, maybe not funny, but it is interesting to see how much money you made when you were 16. Oh, yeah. Cause it, <laughs> and how much you paid in. But it does list, and I think they, depending on how long you, I'm older, so they bunch it up into years. But it was just interesting to see the work history. It gives you uh, a good retrospective on your earnings and the... There's two col- if I remember, I was trying to pull it up when you were talking. There's a column of Social Security taxed earnings, which, again, if you're fortunate enough to hit the limit, will just stop at whatever the limit was at that year. And then I think this, there's another column of Medicare taxed earnings, which has that always been unlimited, Kurt? Nope. No, nope. it was up until 1993, the taxable maximum for Social Security applied to the Medicare tax as well, but it was in 1993 that they were decoupled and started having a distinction between earnings for Social Security benefit purposes and Medicare purposes. And don't quote me exactly what point it was, but at some point in the the not-too-distant past, they eliminated the taxable maximum for Medicare purposes. So it is, as we said before, 1.45% on every dollar that you make. Just before the, the break to summarize, so... 
know that you are, you should know whether your job that you're working at is covered by Social Security. Again, most are. Check your payroll stub. You should see. And it should, again, I know you've got different deductions on there. The Social Security piece should be 6.2. Your employer is matching that, paying that other 6.2. And then the Medicare piece is the 1.45. And again, your employer is also matching that. And so maximum four quarters or four, you get four credits now, year, and basically you need to get to 40 to to be insured. So after the break, Kurt, we'll talk about how we can access benefits and when. This is Mike McNamara. If you're looking for a financial advisor, start by asking him or her three questions. Number one, are you a certified financial planner practitioner? Number two, are you legally held to a fiduciary standard of care for your clients? And number three, do you only give financial advice and not sell investment products? These are all simple yes-no questions. If he or she doesn't answer yes quickly and starts talking, that's a no, and it's time to move on to another advisor. And we are back. This is uh, McNamara on Money. This is Pat Harridan from Longfellow Companies in Boston. Normally we talk employee benefits. We're talking about Social Security and Medicare today. And in the first hour, we're talking with Kurt Zernowski of Zernowski Consulting. He is an expert in all things Social Security. And I meant to say this earlier, but... <laughs> Thanks, Tim. You can call the show, 781-837-4900. Again, we can do our best on sort of general questions, but we do have a caller, and we'll see if we can stump Kurt with this call. But Kate, who's on the South Shore, is on the line. Kate, good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. Thank you so much for taking my call. And I have a question that stumped me, so I'm hoping you guys might Uh, be able to help me out. Oh, let's, it's early, but we'll try. What is your question, Kate? Well, we will do our best. Okay, my ask is whether I'm eligible for Social Security, and here's why I don't know. I worked in the private sector for years. I have gotten an eligibility from Social Security that I'm eligible. I am currently a municipal employee and planning on retiring after I meet the magic 10 years of some eligibility for a benefit there. And I was previously married to a federal employee and am eligible for some benefits through that. So I'm hoping to get some kind of written proof of I'm eligible for Social Security or not. That's a lot. That's a that's a great, great example. But Kurt, I will, I, you, our previous advice right before the break may be the best, but go ahead, Kurt. What are your thoughts? Sure. Mm. Yeah, so Kate, the great news is this. And this is an area where there's a lot of misinformation or disinformation and myths and misunderstandings. <laughs> so if someone receives a public pension, which is based on work not covered under the Social Security program, i.e. working as a teacher in Massachusetts, or a state or local employee in Massachusetts, they're gonna be subject to two provisions of the Social Security program. One is called the Windfall Elimination Provision, referred to as the WEP, and the other is Government Pension Offset, or GPO. Now, they're not mutually exclusive. You can be impacted by either the WEP or GPO or by both. Now, the Windfall Provision, That applies to someone who gets that public pension based on work not covered under Social Security, but who, in addition to their public service, has work paid into the Social Security program 
and has accumulated those 40 Social Security credits we had referenced before. Kate, the great news is, as long as you've gotten those 40 credits, you will absolutely, positively get something each month from Social Security based on your own work record, even if you receive that public pension based on work not covered under Social Security. That's the good news. You'll always get something. The bad news is, if you have fewer than 30 years of time where you've worked and paid into Social Security, then the amount you get each month from Social Security is going to be less than it would be if you didn't have that public pension. But again, <coughs> excuse me, you'll always get something every month based on your own work record. You're never going to be reduced to zero. That's a lot of people mistakenly think that because they get that teacher's pension, state or county pension here, that even though they had worked and paid into Social Security, they're not going to get anything. No, you'll always get something based on your own work record. Government pension offset, that pertains to how that public pension impacts your ability to collect benefits as a spouse, divorced spouse, or widow or widower. And here the news is not necessarily as good. Because with a windfall provision, you're always going to get something. But with government pension offset, the law requires Social Security to reduce any type of spousal benefit, divorce spousal benefit, or survivor benefit by two-thirds of the amount of your pension. So if two-thirds of your pension is more than what you could collect based on your spouse, ex-spouse, or deceased spouse's work record, then you're not going to get anything more from Social Security. You'll always get your own benefit. You'll always have your own public pension, and you may or may not be able to get any additional money in Social Security. In that case, it is the amount of your pension that's material that impacts whether you can collect or not. So windfall provision, you're always going to get something. Government pension offset, depending on the amount of your pension, you may not get anything more. Now, the other thing I always like to remind folks about is what triggers either the windfall provision or government pension offset, is a pension that is based on someone's own work activity. So you, for example, get a survivor annuity based on your husband's work for the federal government. That's not going to trigger either the windfall provision or government pension offset because that pension is not based on your work activity. So a lot of moving parts here, but the good news is, Kate, as long as you've had those 40 credits, 10 years of time, and you want to get that Social Security statement to make sure you know you've got your 40 credits, then yes, you will always get something from Social Security. Now, that Social Security statement, unfortunately, and they tell you right in there, doesn't take into account the fact you may be getting that public pension. But on the Social Security's website, there are online calculators that you can use to determine how much of an impact that public pension is going to have on your Social Security benefits. So go to the calculator section. There's a windfall elimination provision calculator, and you can get a benefit estimate figuring out how much you're going to get along with that public pension. Wow. font uh, of knowledge, and thank you. Hey, I make it up as I go along. <laughs> First and most importantly, how do you spell your last name? Excellent. It's C as in Charlie, Z as in zebra, A-R-N-O-W-S as in Sam, K-I. 
Thank you, yeah. I used to live in Norfolk, so it's a small world. Oh. Um, so the GPO is impacted by my former spouse's eligibility. Is that correct? Yes, okay. You basically get your own benefit, and if, if your ex-spouse is still alive, you're potentially due some additional money moving from your own benefit up to 50% of his. But it's that additional hunk of money that's going to be impacted by government pension offset, and that's the amount that will be reduced or offset by two-thirds of the amount of your pension. Because under the rules, you always get your own benefit. That's the question, can you get some additional money? If your ex is alive, it's based on 50% of his. <coughs> but it's going to be that difference between your own and 50% of his that is impacted by government pension offset and reduced or offset by two-thirds of your pension. So that's why, in all likelihood, depending on the amount of your public pension, you're not going to get anything more off him. And I don't want to be greedy of your time. What I'm trying, like any smart person planning their retirement, what's my retirement going to be? And this is such a moving target, and I'll definitely look at the calculator on the website. I tried, haha, to call the Social Security office, <laughs> and then I wrote them a letter because I'd be glad to go in because I need a real number. And, I, sure. you know, and I'll definitely do a calculation if I'm wrong. I don't get to eat that month, so <laughs> I to figure it all out. And the good news for Kate and the other listeners is Kurt, at the end of the hour, in about 15, 20 minutes or so, Kurt will give out his contact info, and he'll spell his last name. And <laughs> so you'll be able to reach out to him, because this is what he does, Kate, for people. Obviously, on the radio, we don't want to go into numbers and what you're potentially going to get, but... I think it's very helpful. You have a very unique situation, but it's one that's not, it's unique, but it's probably more common. You've got spouses with different benefits. We'll get into, if we have time, collecting on your spouse just in general. That's another topic. But yeah, you've got, definitely have a lot of moving parts and you want to make sure you know exactly what you're doing before you retire. You're right. All right. Well, thank you both. This is really helpful, and um, I'll be listening for that contact okay. information. And thank you so much for your time. Enjoy the day. Yes, thank you, Kate. Thank you, Kate. Thank you, Kurt. So, Kurt, a good question that sort of was going to lead into our next section anyway is, oh, let's assume that people have done what we've asked them to do. They've gone online. They, they realize that, hey, without even looking, I know I've been paying into that for 10 years and I've made more than the required amount each year. What are the different ways people can, I don't want to say collect, that's not the right word, but I guess access the benefit. You mentioned, I think everyone knows about the retirement, which again is different depending on when you're born, but you mentioned disability, survivor. Can you just touch on a few of the ways and then we can get into one or two depending on our time? Sure. So let's start with retirement benefits. Earliest age somebody can collect social security retirement benefits is age 62. But in planning, I always tell people, you need to understand what Social Security calls your full retirement age, a key concept under the program. Now, when Social Security started back in 1935, Congress said full retirement age is the month you turned age 65. It was age 65 for everyone, <coughs> without exception. Continued that way until 1983 when Congress changed the law an increased Social Security full retirement age for anyone born 1938 or later. Now this increase gradually been phased in over time for a big chunk of the baby boomers, any of us like me who were born between 1943 and 1954, our full retirement age month was the month we turned age 66. 
but it continues to increase. Tops out right now. Anyone born 1960 or later has a Social Security full retirement age as a month someone turns age 67. Now, collecting at full retirement age, that isn't somebody's only option. But it's important to know what someone's full retirement age month is based on year of birth, because a lot of features of the program do flow from having reached full retirement age. So, for example, somebody born 1956, Social Security's full retirement age for that person is when they turn 66 years and four months. Somebody born 1957, it'll be 66 years and six months. And so it's important to know what your full retirement age month is, and that's one of the things the Social Security statement will tell you. It'll say, based on your year of birth, your full retirement age is X. But you start to collect at your full retirement age, means you get 100% of your benefit. You start to collect prior to that now, because in theory anyway, you're starting sooner, and in theory anyway, you'll be collecting for a longer period of time. You'll see that full retirement age monthly benefit gets reduced. That's reduced by roughly half a percent for each month prior to full retirement age that you're going to be collecting. So, for example, somebody with a full retirement age of 67, and regardless of what your full retirement age is, you can start as early as 62, but full retirement age of 67, the reduction factor works out that you'll start at 62 receiving 70% of that full retirement age amount. Again, the idea being if you're starting sooner, in theory, you'll be collecting for a longer period of time. <laughs> Excuse me. So you're given less than an individual monthly basis. The whole idea being based on average life expectancy should all come out about even. Full retirement age, get 100% of your benefit. You opt to wait past full retirement age. That's an option as well. And you opt to wait a little bit. You'll see your full retirement age benefit increased for each month you defer. These are called delayed retirement credits. And for each month you defer, payment is increased by two-thirds of a percent. For each month past full retirement age, you opt to not collect your payment. But here's the key thing, these increases only accrue from full retirement age until the month you turn age 70. You never have to take your Social Security benefits, but you opt to defer from full retirement age until age 70. You'll see that payment increase by two-thirds of a percent which translates into an 8% per year increase by waiting. So, full retirement age of 67, you have to wait all the way until 70, you'll see that full retirement age benefit amount increase by 24%, an 8% increase for each of the three years that the person is deferred. So, I always like to say to folks in terms of thinking about it or visualizing it, it's like a continuum. You can start as early as 62, makes no sense to wait past age 70, so what point along that line makes the most sense? Recognizing you start at any point prior to your full retirement age, you're gonna get a lower amount, and it's a permanent reduction, by the way. You wait past full retirement age before starting, you're gonna see your payment amount increase. So it's a question of what makes the most sense for the individual. And that's where, Kurt, I think a lot of people, and they may do this wrong, have to do some math, right? In other words, you have to take your, let's say someone wants to do it at 62, and there, and for, for me, my normal retirement age is 67, right? So there's five years that I'd be collecting 
that I wouldn't necessarily. So whatever that amount is, then I do the math and say if I waited till 70 and then collected, what's the payback? If I live 10, 10 years or whatever, I'm sure there's calculators out there that do it, but there's... That's the math that people need to... Assuming that, again, they don't need the money to live at 62. We're talking about these are people who are trying to plan for their retirement. The question that always comes up is, does... These are for people that have been married the 10 years. Does that choice of 62, 67, or 70 affect a survivor benefit at all? Like, in other words, is is there a bank of money that you're either taking out because you're collecting early or waiting until later, or is it a totally separate calc? Sure, and it's a good question. And uh, I'd like to remind folks, the way the survivor program operates, so we've had two people, both have worked, both have paid in the program, both are collecting, one of them passes. A survivor is gonna receive a monthly payment based on whichever one of the two higher amounts are being paid. And that's the key thing. You've got a couple living in retirement they're getting two social security payments each month. One of them passes away. Sure, the survivor will receive the higher of the two benefits, but as if that other payment has just gone away. Mm. It's important for folks to recognize because the survivor payment is gonna be 100% of what the deceased individual is collecting at the time he or she passed away. Recognize that by opting to wait, not only is your own payment higher once you start to collect it, but it also means that any survivor payment that could be made upon your passing is gonna be higher as well. So it's just something to factor in. And ultimately, it's a longevity decision. You, know, it's, you gotta factor in things like your health, longevity. I always like to ask, you come from a family of long livers, Pat? Yeah. <laughs> or do you come from a family of short pancreases? Ba-dum-bum. Yeah, that's a good like was... movie, Goodbye Columbus, 40-something <laughs> years ago, 50-something years ago. Yeah, I knew there was a punchline coming after the long live comment. <laughs> and one thing we should touch on now, because it, it comes out a lot in some of these TV ads, and I'm sure this is probably has not changed at all. Most people are either shocked, surprised, or amused. What is the actual death amount if you're receiving Social Security and you actually die? Not the survivor benefit, but the lump sum payment for someone who is deceased. Yeah, and so for time immemorial, there's always been a one-time lump sum death benefit that has been paid upon the passing of someone who has worked and paid into the Social Security program. Back in the day, it was set at $255. Now, Congress has never had the cojones to completely eliminate that one-time, paltry, pathetic $255 lump sum death benefit. So it stayed at 255 bucks. But what has happened over time is that the number of people, <coughs> excuse me, who are eligible to receive that has been cut back. Because prior to 1983, used to be paid, if anyone who had worked and paid into Social Security had passed away, could be paid to funeral homes, for example. But since uh, about 40 years or so ago, it was really cut back. And so the number of people who are eligible to get that are a surviving spouse or surviving kids who are eligible to collect benefits based on the deceased work record. So the backdoor elimination, it hasn't been changed, but it hasn't been eliminated. But the number of people who can qualify for that, again, $255 death benefit has significantly been reduced. Yeah, and that's 255 
dollar lump sum one time only payment. One time only. But again, don't focus simply on that. But right. I always like to remind folks, as you uh, you said, and there's the survivor benefit. So you've got a husband and wife, for example, and the program's completely gender neutral. Me and a husband and wife. Say the husband's getting a thousand bucks a month, the wife's getting eight hundred dollars a month. The husband dies, the wife will step up from her own eight hundred previously and begin to get that thousand dollar that the husband had been receiving, and she'll collect that higher amount for the rest of her life. So it's a hugely important part of the program that it's that higher benefit paid to the survivor and can't be overlooked as part of the that full range of protection that Social Security provides. Yep. We're talking with Kurt Zanowski. And Kurt, what I'm going to have you do, even though we've got about eight minutes left and I want to cover the, the amounts in a minute, if you just give it, I don't want to get cut off at the end. Can you just give out your contact info and speak slowly? Sure, Pat. <laughs> I can definitely. So it's, and I give you the website, www. And then all one word. Zarnowski Consulting, and spell it C as in Charlie, Z as in Zebra, A R N O W S K I Consulting dot com. And my email is Kurt K U R T dot my last name Zarnowski at gmail dot com. And uh, if you just I did this while Kurt was talking because I'm spelling challenged. If you literally type in Kurt with a K, K-U-R-T, and then the word Social Security, the first result you get is Zarnowski Consulting in Google. <laughs> so that is the that is definitely the way to do it, and your, your contact info and website come up. But one of the things I wanted to cover in our last few minutes here, just to give people a sense, because, again, sometimes... Kurt, I know in my line of work, when I'm talking with employees during their open enrollment period, which is usually around now, um, and I'm talking about retirement or anything else, I always say, hey, Social Security is great, but it's not gonna, that's not going to be your primary source of retirement income. But why don't you give people sort of an idea of like maximums and averages of benefit, assuming someone, if someone maxes out every year and the formula, I know the formula is a little bizarre to explain on the radio, but what amounts are we talking about per month or per year? Sure. And Pat, that first point though is hugely important. Social security was never intended to be anyone's sole source of income in retirement. Right always been intended to provide a base or a foundation that people can count on being there, but it's a base of income protection that people must take steps to supplement. And the sooner they take those steps, the more likely they are to have that comfortable retirement. That's one of the beautiful things about that social security statement. Gives you a dollar amount, rubs your nose in it, and you recognize, <laughs> hmm, can I live on this? Well, no, I probably can't, so I need to find ways to move from what social security provides to where I need and want to be. So I always get asked the question, well, is there an average Social Security <laughs> retirement benefit being paid? In 2023, the average retirement benefit is going to be $1,827 a month. $1,827 a month, which, if you multiply it by 12, comes out to just under $22,000 a year. Then I get asked the question, well, is there a maximum payment that Social Security makes? In 2023 for someone who next year is at his or her full retirement age, which is 66 years and six months, and who for each of the past 
35 years because oh. benefits are based on an average of someone's 35 highest years of work under the system. Oh. Somebody has had maximum earnings for each of those 35 years. Next year, he or she receives $3,726 per month or $44,712 a year. Nothing to sneeze at. Hugely important base, but it was never intended to be anyone's sole source of income in retirement. And you got to take that information in the Social Security statement and move from what you're going to get from Social Security to where you need and want to be. Yep. 1827, average monthly payment next year, 3726, maximum payment. By the way, you get this question all the time. So you've got, say, a couple, both of whom have had maximum earnings, both of whom reach full retirement age of 66 years and six months next year. It's important to note, each one of them will receive that $3,726 per month. There's no offset one another, no maximum payment in a situation where both members of the couple have worked and earned that maximum payment. Each one will receive it. And no, that's an important point too. We've got a couple of minutes left, maybe two. Kurt, just since you've worked there, you've been there, the other question that I'm sure you get, especially from your younger clients or younger people you talk to, just your opinion for someone out there who's 40 years old, is this social security system going to be there in your opinion? For Just from knowing what you know, from working there and what it was set up to do and how our system of government works. Oh, yeah, it, it, absolutely. And this whole issue, and particularly with younger folks, is there going to be anything there for me down the road? That's a universal fear. I started working for Social Security in 1976, <laughs> and I'd go to Zarnowski family functions, and the Zarnowski uncles would sidle on up to me, put their arm around my shoulder, and say, hey, Kurt, is there going to be anything there for me when I reach retirement age? That has been a universal fear, and it's always been money there for people. It's too important a program. And younger folks in particular think, <coughs> excuse me, there's not going to be anything there whatsoever. Keep in mind, Social Security's primary source of income are payroll tax dollars right. from employers, employees, and people are self-employed. So as long as the economy is functioning in some form or fashion, Social Security will always have a revenue stream of some sort. So it's never going to be at the position where there's no money there whatsoever. So I think Congress needs to deal with the long-range solvency of the program. Each year, the trustees report projects 75 years into the future. Most recent report came out in June, said it's currently constituted. Social Security has enough money in hand to cover 100% of promised benefits between now and the end of 2034. That point going forward, while not projected to have enough money to cover 100%, is thought to have enough to cover 80%. Hmm. So the issue confronting Congress is how between now and 2035 you close this 20% funding gap so the program continues to pay all the benefits that people are entitled to receive. And of course, as we all know, Congress is very a well-oiled machine and we'll I'm sure get that done, no problem. And I'll let you go past. But the issue is maybe Social Security's hurt because there's no immediate crisis and it's very easy for Congress to kick the can down the road. Yes, no, great. All right, thank you, Kurt. Appreciate your, your time. Again, Kurt Zernowski, if you type in Kurt with a K, Social Security, his contact info will come up and we'll talk Medicare after the break. Thank you, Kurt. Appreciate it. Great job, Pat. Thanks. Talk to you. Happy holidays. Same to you.